morning, listeners, and welcome to an interesting episode of the Prelines podcast, in which we will be detailing our uh, mid-season review and award predictions uh, with a little spin, and in that we're only going to focus on the National Predators. Uh, but before that, we're uh, coming off a nice nice All-Star break weekend, guys. Uh, Corey, how you feeling? Did you, did you catch some of the All-Star festivities? I did. I caught a little bit of the uh, activities on Saturday nights uh, with my daughter. She was really into the... Uh, the uh, the skills parts of, of the event and uh, like seeing um, Pecorine do really well in the um, the saves uh, the save streak part which I thought was really nice so we had a lot of fun good yeah the I was I was pretty pleased with the the performance of the the two Predators players um, there's uh, of course it's a little controversial the save streak uh, there's, there's a, a lot of dissenting voices out there about Flurry getting it. And there's something about the format, and I, to be quite honest, didn't really understand the format. Um, Rene made, you know, he stopped a shot from every player, but then the streak. Anyway, something about Flurry getting allowed to restart a streak and then keep going longer than Rene did. It was all a bit uh, questionable. But yeah, I think we can all agree that uh, Pecorine impressed, uh, looked very good during the, the sh- uh, shootout streak. And George, I assume you, you caught most of the weekend's events. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mostly watched Sunday, um, but I like to think it wasn't about what I saw, but what I didn't see, and that was ah. T Rock. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was he only nice. uh, only one song uh, aired on television, so I was I was pleased with that as well. All in all, a pretty <laughs> pretty good. And we got to see a, an offside review. <laughs> yeah, why game. why would they have that? Why would you? Because have... Wes McCauley needed to have one highlight. Well, and I'm okay. glad he did because I got but... to watch Wes McCauley call a re- a review. We're not even telling the review, but why have icing and offsides yeah, in general? No, I agree. I like, agree. I, I'm of the mind of that the three on three is such a gimmick in itself. Just like if you possibly could throw power ups out there, like yeah, I know right. it's it's not humanly right. possible, but it'd be incredible. Just make like the old three on three game, and no, they should have like a, you know, like a, uh, I don't know, a hat you could pick up, and when you have the hat, you get like a twenty second power play. Yeah, yeah I can or, see stuff like that. Yeah, frozen. Yeah, I don't think uh, any of those players skater, are out there. Double goals. I don't think any of those players are out there trying to hurt each other. So, like, I don't, I agree. I don't know. I don't understand why you need like icing and offside and all that. I think just yeah. uh, you know, put the best possible spectacle on television as you can. But that said, I did appreciate a Wes McCauley uh, no goal call. Yeah, that was pretty great. Yeah. Um, it's see, it seems like forever ago, but uh, of course the Nashville Predators did have a couple games last week. Uh, with the lightning in town, it was a hugely anticipated game, at least from where I'm sitting. Uh, lightning coming into town on Tuesday night, and uh, the Preds falling in overtime. And then uh, Nashville going up and visiting Newark to play the Devils and getting it done with a 3 nothing uh, shutout win. Nice to see Pecorino getting the shutout on the road. And uh, I think the other, speaking of interesting goaltending, uh, UC Saros, of course, getting the start against Tampa Bay. And Corey, did you uh, did you think that was the right decision to get Saros in there? And uh, and then beyond that, just you know, what were your, kind of your thoughts? If you can, it feels like remember way back almost a week ago to that uh, Tuesday night game. At this point, I'm not sure you can go wrong with either goalie and Nets. I mean, the way that Saros has been playing of recent, uh, he's just been he's been so good. I mean, even for his small stature, he seems like he's playing a very uh, very tall for his position. He's very quick going side to side and played very very well and. And the only real marks against the team 
in the first period, those two goals that Tampa Bay scored early on were turnovers or bad positioning by the, you know, the, the rest of the team put Soros in a very bad position. Uh, and so those were kind of fluky, uh, fluky goals, really. So I, I have no problem with that decision. I think he played really, really well. The Predators had a great chance to win that game and just let, let it go at the end. Um, so, uh, but the, I have no problem with that decision to start Soros in that, in that, that game. Yeah, I like Soros in that game as well, actually. Uh, I I think he's been playing very well as of late. And also, again, coming off that, that bye week where Pecorini had about a week off and Soros had two, or I'm sorry, three starts in Milwaukee, that was just the right decision uh, not to, also not to throw Pecorini to the Wolves against the best team in the NHL. That was probably probably the best thing. Let him, let him get a little bit of rest. And quite frankly... Um, I thought the Predators' offense came to play, and the defense kind of was nowhere to be found. Um, Thirteen high danger chances against uh, for the Lightning, or uh, against the Predators rather, is just you know if you think you're going to win games and give up thirteen high danger chances, you got another thing coming. But otherwise, I thought the Predators actually controlled possession not terribly. I, you know, they kept they kept Stamkos uh, pr- pretty well contained as far as possession goes, although he did score three goals, including that last one, which was a, a bomb from that from that low circle kind of area where he's just not going to miss. So yeah. um, they have to do a better job of kind of containing those players and keeping them to places where they don't want to play, which is obviously easier said than done. Yeah, I mean, as I wrote in, in kind of my recap of this game, it, I had an interesting takeaway from it in that I realized the Nashville loss, but I thought that they proved enough to me um, that they they still have what it takes to really contend for the cup, and I, I mean that sounds ridiculous. This team is stacked and, and really should be contending for a cup, but a lot of the performances this year I, I think have have left some question marks. But this one actually, I I'm, I can't be upset with that overtime loss. Obviously, it's a shame you know they have the lead going once. It seems like this story repeats itself all season. Uh, Nashville had a late lead, I think, with less fewer than three minutes in the third period remaining, and allow Tampa to come back and tie it up and then take it in overtime. But, you know, I saw 100% effort from pretty much every line on every shift, which is extremely rare. And I thought, um, you know, should this become the cup final series, I think it could easily go to seven games. Um, I, I still think Tampa looks like they have the edge, but, um, you know, it could come down to go in, in a playoff series. It's going to come down to who, who's got the better goaltender and, um, you know, just some puck, puck luck. So I think, uh, it, it proved to me that Nashville is really within reach of, of the best teams in the league. So that was although, nice. Although they were missing Hedman and Sergachev, which was... Yes. Right. That's quite a duo to be missing. Yeah. Uh, there were uh, several Lightning oh, players that, was, that I... Go that ahead. was the game where uh, Louis Domingue was in, wasn't he? Yeah. Nashville yeah. making Domingue look like a world-class goaltender. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely some some question marks. It, it, just based on the on-ice performance, I think it was the best I've seen Nashville play in a long time. Um, everybody giving their all on every shift, which is just really nice to see because for whatever reason, they don't do that very often. <laughs> um, and then, George, interestingly, that, uh, interesting that you mentioned 13 high-danger chances against because uh, in the next game, Nashville went up to New Jersey and allowed the same number and yet got the 3 nothing shutout. And, of course, uh, give or take a tenth of a point, statistically speaking, allowing 26 high-danger chances against in two games should create six and a half goals against. So that 
speaks to the uh, performance of both Saros and Rene in those two games. Uh, Nashville should have pretty much lost uh, or allowed three goals in each of those games and, uh, of course, got the shutout uh, in New Jersey. So Rene had a great night. Uh, really good to see because I think, uh, George, you and I have talked about since the the week off, I think Rene's looked a little shakier, perhaps coming back down to earth, which, you know, I think we could have all expected. Um, but, uh, and, and, and and as with Tampa Bay, New Jersey is very injured, missing a lot of their um, kind of top goal scorers so, and uh, top goaltender. Nashville getting another kind of break, you might say, with a, a backup goaltender and a very green one at that. Um, I think pretty sure that that was his the devil's yeah, that was goal, his first goal center's first start yeah uh cory what, what were your thoughts on the shutout in uh, new jersey well i mean i like the fact that the team scored first and got another win i mean that's that's a trend that we've been seeing all season long with them they they get a if they get a goal first they're gonna they're typically gonna win the game and and it looks the one thing I like is is we're we're seeing people like Matthias uh, Ekholm and Victor Arvidsson and and PK uh, Subban step up and and score in times where we've needed you know someone to step up. We've been missing Forsberg for a long time. We haven't been getting a lot of production on the forward lines as much as we want to. We get Kevin Fiala here and there. We get some other uh, people come in here and there. But now we're starting to see uh, some others kind of step up. And you know Subban's leading the team in, in points I think at this point in time. So it's it's good to see a full team. Uh, uh, producing, limiting the limiting the penalties recently as well, which was nice. I think having that that very green goalie helped him out quite a bit. But just just seeing the contributions from across the team, everybody's starting to get involved. Everybody's starting to push forward. Aberg's going forward quite a bit and just trying to cause ruckus in the end. And it's really starting to show that this team is putting pressure on the defenses of other teams, and that's that's a good sign. Yeah, in the New Jersey game, I, th- I think you're right about Aberg. I think uh, recently I've seen a lot more out of him, um, and, and he was probably one of the players that really needed to start stepping up or risk uh, seeing a lot less of this of this roster. Um, you know, it was as far as the, the New Jersey game, it kind of fell into place a little more. Like in the Tampa game, the worst players on the ice uh, from a possession standpoint were players like Ryan Johansson, P.K. Subban, um, Victor Arvidsson, you know, it was, it was kind of your top line guys that were really struggling. It seemed against Tampa, against New Jersey, it was kind of the opposite. You see Victor Arvidsson leading the pack in terms of shot production. Um, players like, um, like you mentioned, Matias Ekholm, Craig Smith getting up there. So it was kind of more of the the business as usual. Very very dark coloring around the net, so allowing <laughs> still allowing quite a few of those chances right in front of the goaltender. Um, but that said, Nashville actually did produce quite a fair number as well. They actually matched New Jersey with 13 high danger chances. Um, so a better offensive effort, certainly. They're, you know, it's it's just, and I realize I'm talking about a shutout here, so this might seem a, a little ridiculous, but they still got um, outplayed in terms of shot attempts. And it's just, I just wonder what that's all about. You know, I watch Tampa play, and I think they do that almost intentionally. They they will happily ride the wave of allowing shot attempts from bad areas before going and doing the damage, and I don't think Nashville's doing it on purpose. It seems like they're just allowing, allowing the shots because they don't really have a choice. Um, but as I said, it's kind of hard to argue with a 3 nothing shutout, especially to kick off a, a nice few days off for the All-Star break. Yeah. I, uh, um, I, I kind of like your, your thought there about 
you know, accepting low danger chances and just kind of allowing yeah. those shots to happen. And I 100% agree with you that that could be a strategy if it weren't for the the bright red volcano around the net. Right, exactly. Where a lot of those are just high danger chances, and yeah, it's just it's not good. It yeah, it really isn't. And a team where it was the first, it was NHL goaltender's first ever start, and without Taylor Hall, yeah, I mean. They shouldn't. They shouldn't have given up this much offense. But again, it's hard to complain when they won three nothing. I know that's and and they won't fix anything because they won three nothing. So, um, yeah, and I don't want to. You know, this is a Predators podcast. I don't mean to keep talking about the Lightning, but it's. I watched their game. They played the Blackhawks uh, the night before they came to Nashville, and I was just absolutely floored by their performance because in every way, it looked like Chicago was the better team in that game. Until you kind of look back, they Chicago lost two nothing, and you afterwards you kind of look back on things and, and kind of you know debrief the game, and you realize that that was Tampa's strategy all along. They will happily let Chicago skate around the perimeter, try to get through the neutral zone, but the second that puck tries to go through a high danger area, tries to go through the slot, whether it's a pass or a player carrying the puck, it's going to be a turnover or at least a disrupted play. And it, I just wish so badly that Nashville could get that coaching or that mentality or whatever it is. Because I think Nashville has a better defensive group than Tampa Bay. I, I don't think that's too controversial of a statement. Um, you know, on paper, I think Nashville has a better defensive roster. But for whatever reason, like you mentioned, that high danger area, that low slot is just um, such a weak, a glaring weakness. And I really, um, I'm kind of out of answers if I ever had any in the first place. I, it's just hard to watch that game and any of these Predators games and pick out a specific reason that they allow so many chances. Um, and that actually does uh, transition nicely. We, next, we wanted to do a, our kind of mid, mid-season review. So although it is a, a bit past the mid-season, but, you know, look back on, on the season so far, what we think has been going right, what has been going wrong, and to keep it consistent with this high danger thing, I did, I just, out of curiosity, in five-on-five situations, um, Nashville is allowing the 10th fewest high danger chances against, which I was actually surprised. I figured they would be lower down. Um, but they're producing the fourth fewest high danger chances so that their ratio is actually, I think, maybe 21st or 22nd in the league. So not what you would expect from a team that's challenging for first in a very good central division. So, I, you know, Corey, what do you think offensively, with that in mind, the fact that they're so low with high danger chances created, do you think there's something offensively that's going wrong? You know, are these lines correct, or is there still kind of room, or, or is it just individ- down to individual effort? You know, that's a really good question. One of the things that, that bothers me about the offense is how often they rely on a defenseman out towards the blue line to fire a shot in and get a rebound. There doesn't seem to be a lot of motion going in towards the the uh, center of the ice, no types of gives and goes, nothing like that. I think it's just an offensive philosophy that is we're going to kind of create a screen around the around the goalie to kind of impede his view. We're going to take some shots and then we're going to uh, pounce on a rebound. I, I, you know, with Tampa Bay, and I know we're going back to this again. You know, I've watched a few of their games this year, and they they're tacticians on offense. They pass back and forth. You even saw it a couple times during the uh, the game versus the Predators, where they would pass. Um, uh, they would pass kind of each other, create some space, and then find the open shot. Um, it's it's more of an offensive philosophy, I think, 
of let's use our, our talented offensive production and their defensive players to create rebounds for us. And I think that's one of the reasons why we see less high danger chances. There's not a lot of drive to the net with Johansson or Forsberg or Arvidsson or even Turris, some other players. Uh, and we should need, we need to see more of that coming in the rest of the season, especially when everybody gets healthy and starts uh, uh, get that chemistry built, rebuilt uh, where it needs to be. Yeah, I I can I can see that. I'm of the mind that it one of the things that made the Predators so success, successful in the playoffs and so successful in the regular season last last year was that they had a defensive core that was so willing to jump in and so willing to kind of make plays, especially behind the net. And I think we saw it a little towards the beginning of the season, but we haven't really seen it since. Is a lot of our a lot of the defenses just kind of content with staying back, which is by no means a bad thing, but when when they were creating a lot of your offense, that that can kind of be a good reason why this is drying up. Um, I I think a lot of it goes back to to last season when uh, Romeo Yossi was concussed and he was concussed behind I believe it was behind the net and it, it was in the offensive zone. And since then, I think we've kind of seen a little timidness from him going back to that area. Um, Matias Ekholm as well. I've you know I've heard the joke many times that he was the best power forward on the team uh, last year in the playoffs because his willingness to go into the corners in the offensive zone and just you know bang bodies and just kind of you know puck retrieval and to push the, you know push the area and that kind of cycle really threw defenders out of position and just the ability to kind of move and not let defenders play a kind of man to man system but also not let them play a, a zone system often caught people out of place and in doing so they were able to create chances um and so now that they're just kind of, now they're not really moving and def- defensemen aren't really kind of, once after they lead the rush, you kind of see them sag back and just start to, and just play normally. I think that's really hurting their uh, their offense. And I wonder if, I don't necessarily know if Forsberg's going to change that at all, but I, I wonder if that has more to do with the players or the coaching. And for my money, I would have to guess coaching. Yeah, I think that's been kind of the common denominator for me is is just it comes down to coaching. I think when you look at kind of each of the diff, each of the aspects of this team offensively, I think they're relying a little too much. It's gotten better, but I think still relying too much on a power play, um, not getting it done quite as often as in five on five. Well, defensively, have you seen, uh, they're, have you seen their uh, Sean Tierney is this great this great writer and this great mathematician that does stats work and. Um, one of the things I always see is after every night he'll do, he'll update the expected goals for versus goals against at five on five, and yeah. the Predators are continually giving up more go- or expected to give up more goals for than they score at five on five, and it's purely right. by the power play that they've stayed that they've stayed afloat. And, you know, not even just stayed afloat that, that they've stayed ahead in yeah. the division. I think goaltending. I mean, I think the goaltending has just been overperforming on every oh. aspect. Um. They have a high danger saving percentage of like 80, yeah. 89.84. Yeah. I mean, geez, yeah. that's almost 90%. So that's, that's about 12% higher than league average. So, yeah, um, pretty much in one in every, well, that's not really how math works. <laughs> I'm trying to think yeah. of a different way to phrase that than just 12% more, but that's a lot. It's quite a bit higher than the, yeah. the league average. Um, so goaltending has been good. Defensively, I think they've been Swiss cheese. Yeah. Yeah, there's only two teams higher in in high danger save percentage. And it's the yeah. uh, the Dallas Stars and the New York Rangers. Wow! So yeah. the Stars get it coming from her and his goal tonight too. Yeah. Pretty much the best in the league. Um, 
coaching wise, I think I don't know. I've never been a hockey coach. I've never really broke like I'm not good at hockey uh, strategy. You know, I can break down what happened. It's hard for me to plan what should happen. But I can tell you there are issues with this coaching. I'm, you know, I've I was hesitant to do that because I, I tend to kind of try to protect individuals on this team. I try to not be too, um, you know, critical of individuals. But after this many games, when these issues have, if anything, gotten worse, you just got to wonder. I mean, the power play has deteriorated, in my opinion. And I don't know how that's possible. I don't know why the power play would be getting worse as the season progresses, unless teams have just figured it out. Um, but, I, you know, it's just frustrating. It really is, because it feels a lot of the time like this team is is a lot of untapped potential. We see the individual names on this roster, and you just think this team should be steamrolling their opponents. And more often than not, they're, they're losing 4-3 in overtime because they gave up a very late goal, you know, that sort of thing. So, Corey, do you think the coaching staff needs to be held accountable for this? Is this on the players? And again, you know, as, as with everything, we're talking about a relatively successful team. And yet, the product on the ice, for me, is leaving a lot to be desired. So I'll ask you, do you think the coaching staff is, is to blame here? Is there anything to criticize? Am I kind of overreacting or what? I, I don't think you're overreacting at all. I think this is, is just part of what the Predators are right now. You know, you, you're sitting here talking about the, the power play being you know, uh, and uh, being, being so much worse than what it used to be. Well, it's still third in the league overall. Right. I mean, I, it's, it's just, it's incredible to sit here and we watch the games. We're talking about the eye test. You're like, man, on paper, you look like you should be, you know, really taking it to the Arizona Coyotes, yet you lose in overtime. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's just confounding. I, the one thing I can, I want to, I will associate this with, and I, and I always go back to my baseball roots and I'm, I'm a big baseball fan. What the Chicago Cubs did this past year, after winning the World Series, they kind of coasted that first half of the season, and then after the second half of the season, they really turned it on and made it to the playoffs. You know, won the division by several games, and you know, it wasn't the season that we were hoping for as Cubs fans, but it was still when when the time came, they turned it. They were able to perform where we thought they were supposed to perform, where that what they're supposed to do. I don't know if the Predators can do that because they've never been put in that position before. I, I, and I'm kind of wondering if, if LaViolette said, hey, we're just going to squeak out some wins as long as we win or we keep it close, as long as we're in a position, you know, we'll, let's see what happens to the All-Star break. And then after the All-Star break, we're really going to start hammered in. I, that's a bad way to go. And I, I really, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a hockey coach. I have coached other things throughout my life. I have been in charge of – eight people to 300 people on a field doing stuff, you know, so I, I've got some experience in the leadership. That's not a great way to go if that's what he's doing. Thing is, it, I don't see enough change from game to game. I don't see enough adjustments throughout the season to make me think that they're really actively working to build a better team and build them for the Stanley Cup final. It's, you're right, it is a very dangerous... If that is indeed the strategy, and I, I tend to think it's not, I would think that um, an NHL team is, is trying to you know, be as competitive as possible every single night. Because that just leaves a lot of... you know, If, if for example, Philip Forsberg gets injured again, you know, things like that, or, or God forbid Pecorino, you, know, you don't want to be squeaking by and then putting it all on the, on the line if something like that could happen. I think... And that's the thing that really is blowing my mind is, is a lot of these issues seem very obvious. And you mentioned the, 
the their power play is the third best in the league, which to me is incredibly frustrating. Because you know, and I've I've looked at, <clears throat> I rarely look at power play stats, but I have you know I I broke it down because I really did want to understand how it's third in the league if it's if it looks as bad as it does, and they're pretty much middle of the pack or below average in every individual category when it comes to the power play, um, and that's you know high danger chances. Um, the number of shots they're producing per power play, every you know, down to even the details like that, where they're just not shooting enough. And I'm not the guy that's sitting in the stands yelling "shoot!" Believe me. In fact, I, <laughs> I tend to think I'm the opposite of that guy. But that's it. Just it blows my mind, and I feel like this power play could be a runaway best in the league if it's third best right now, and it looks that bad. Imagine if they fix the issues, how good it could be. Um, but I think it extends beyond the power play. I think defend, the defense has just been my biggest question mark. I don't understand how they're allowing so many chances against uh, high danger chances. And George, I think you've been particularly critical of the defensive abilities, and I, I, just, I will stress the defensive abilities of players like Roman Yossi. You know, do yep. you think this comes down to an individual player thing, or is this, or is that coaching? You know, I'm, I'm just trying to get your, you guys' take on, on who, who should we be pointing these fingers at. Well, and I don't. I'm going to sound kind of pretentious when I say this, so bear, you know, bear with me. As a scout, one of my things that I like to do is just kind of break down systems and see how that might affect players. And I, for the life of me, am having trouble figuring out what exactly the defensive zone system is, because I've no. I know offense is usually a read and react kind of system where they talk about you know get into a cycle if you want to or. You know, work work the puck up high and then get to the net, or you know, just work it down low and you know get people out of position. But usually, it's not very set up. Uh, but defense, on the other hand, is where systems actually matter and where not having people in the right system can result in terrible plays and goals against. And for the life of me, I can figure I can't figure out what is going on when Romeo C is on the ice. And this was the same when he had Matisse Ekholm. This is it's the same now that he has Ryan Ellis on on with him as well. And when, when it's P.K. Subban and Matisse Ekholm out there, I know exactly what's going to happen. Subban or Ekholm is going to follow, is going to follow a player into the, into the boards or into the corner to try to retrieve the puck, and then the center is going to support. And if, it gets, and if it's a real puck battle, what will happen is the other defender, usually Matisse Ekholm, will kind of act as a buffer or a layer and will keep, will keep himself between the puck and, uh, and the net, but be closer to the puck just in case it does pop out, he can jump onto it. Um, with Roman Yossi and Ellis or Roman Yossi and whoever, Yossi's in the corners regardless of who's in front or who's already in the corner. And it's just so frustrating to see to see after that what happens is that just kind of everything goes goes crazy. And sometimes it works, and sometimes the puck squeaks out to Yossi or to Matias Ekholm or to whoever's in the center, and you know the puck's going down the ice. But most often than not, the puck squeaks out to one of the forwards who's outnumbering, and then... Uh, the opposition usually gets a quality shot because there's someone in, in front of the net that really has no one on them. And it's not just Roman Yossi's fault, but I think that his play is part of the issue. Um, and obviously that third line uh, is, or what used to be that third line, third pairing is absolutely atrocious. Uh, I've yeah. noticed, you know, I haven't, I think you're you're probably talking more about um, kind of your typical zone entries uh, or, def- you know, defensive zone coverage. I've noticed that sort of thing on the more, uh, high, you know, high-profile kind of chances like a, a odd man break or a, a breakaway, where it seems like Roman Yossi will always pinch. That he and he and his partner will always go to the same man, 
um, you know, if it's a two-on-two or a three-on-two, they'll they'll both attack the puck carrier, which obviously leaves a lot of a lot of ice exposed for whoever's trailing. And you know, I, as much as I commend Yossi on on his ability to create offense and his carry the puck through the neutral zone and into the offensive zone, I agree. I think surprisingly, I think you know you might look at that roster and think, well, Yossi's kind of a known quantity; he won't be a question mark. But I think defensively, I've I've noticed some of these same issues from Roman Yossi and um, you know as as the old cliche goes your best players need to be your best players and to have your your the captain of your team a defenseman be kind of a, one of the weak links on defense is, is really puzzling unless that's just the system that they've created is that they value his, his ability to transition so much that they're going to you know decrease the responsibility defensively I'm, I'm not really sure well, um, I, th- I think part of the issue, too, is uh, Ryan Ellis's play. And um, I think that we've all seen him offensively and how well he's done. And, you know, he's really fit in like a glove uh, on offense. He's been perfect. Um, but his game on defense needs quite a bit of work. And you can tell that he's still kind of figuring it out. And that's okay. He missed 40 games in the season, and he, he came back from a significant injury. Like, it's going to take some time for him to get back. That being said, uh, once he comes back, I think – that Yossi, that Yossi pair is going to be much better defensively once he can kind of uh, control. I saw him get beat in the corners a few times, and it's just very uncharacteristic for someone like Ellis, who, being so small, is actually quite a, a dominating force uh, physically. Yeah. So I think that things will get better once he gets more uh, more back into the swing of things on defense, but until then, they have to find a way to stop the leaking. Um, it's you know we we always t- it seems like we tend to criticize so just to balance things out and, and perhaps be a little more lighthearted. Corey, why don't you tell me something that's going right with this team? You know, I could you could sit there and point to the goaltending all day every day. Now, uh, I mean, at the beginning of the season, Saros was kind of a liability, and we were kind of questioning whether or not he was ready uh, to take over for Rene. Rene was playing spectacular hockey, and they're both doing really really well. Um, but, you know, I want to highlight some other things, though. You know, we started to see Craig Smith be a really good hockey player there for a while. And he's been kind of – he's kind of taken a step back or two recently, and maybe that's part of the lineups that he's facing or or the having Kevin Fiala off the line with him and Turris. Uh, but we've seen some players step up that we weren't expecting to step up. Um, so, I mean, whether it was Craig Smith – or it's been Kevin Fiala, which has been a fantastic goal scorer for the team. Kali Yarncroke. It, it's just been a lot of a lot of team play, and I think in a game where yes, you need some star players. You need your Connor McDavid's, your Sidney Crosby's. You need you need some of those guys around. You've got a really good team here that's playing together pretty well. Once they get all the little holes figured out and everything fixed, it's going to be a really dangerous team come playoff time. Yeah, and I think you know we. I I was looking at Craig Smith last year, you know, watching last year, and, and Craig Smith was essentially invisible. If he had a chance, he would miss. It was amazing. Um, looking at over the course of his of his career, I think we should have always expected him to bounce back. Last year was just such an anomaly, such a down year for him. And so, yes, you're right. He's been great, and I think that he's been more of the player we should expect Craig Smith to be. Um, and then I would mention, you mentioned Kelly Yarncroke, and I think along those lines, I think the – the two, the third and fourth lines that have been basically a defensive group of forwards, I think have actually performed pretty admirably. Um, we talk about Yarnkirk's ability as a, a two-way center, 
a defensive forward, and he's been great. I think, and, and points-wise, I think this is set up to be pretty much his best season of his of his career. Um, I think he's he's within reach of his career point or his uh, season point total, and he, you know where we obviously still have um, quite a few games left. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree. The the some of the players we've the depth players we've been wanting to see step up, I think, have stepped up, and then obviously mentioned the goaltending, which pretty much goes without saying. Um, the goaltending has just been superb. And George, is there anything we haven't mentioned that you'd like to throw out there too for something that's going well this year? Kevin Fiala, I mean, I know you guys talked about him, but I just wanted to second that. He's just been so good, and he's going to be so great. And when the uh, when the expansion, the next expansion draft comes in 2020 or 2021, they're gonna the pairs are gonna have a really tough a uh, tough decision to make between keeping him or Irvidsson. So that'll be fun. <laughs> Well, and they've, I think they've confirmed that they will have Seattle will have the same yeah. um, expansion rules as Vegas, and obviously Vegas has built quite a good team, at least uh, in the short term. So, well, of course they had, they had their pick of all stars. Oh my God, Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I guess I, I can't think of a really good segue, but uh, on a more lighthearted note, talking about uh, as I mentioned, kind of at the start, we wanted to do some of these midseason awards, so. You know all the all the individual player awards that the NF, uh, sorry, NFL NHL um, gives out every year. Of course, uh, in this version, we would imagine them only being given to Predators players. So the first one, and and before, you, please don't write uh, hate mail. That I realize this is a, a misuse of this trophy, but the Calder, uh, which we are defining as the first year with the National Predators, not a rookie, but a first year with the Predators. And I'll get us started. I have got uh, Kyle Turris, who I think uh, has sort of done his part to shape the identity of the team this year and, and just cemented the fact that they have solved the uh, center depth issue. Cooled off quite a bit recently, but I think uh, in terms of possession, he's still been very a very solid second-line center every night and obviously kind of unlocked Kevin Fiala and Craig Smith. So I'm going to give that my quote-unquote calder to uh, Kyle Turris. And uh, Corey, why don't you lay your pick on me? Well, you know, I'm going to go something rather unconventional here. I'm going to go with um, uh, Scott Hartnell. He, oh, first first year back with the Preds, right? Well, he is first year back, and yeah. you know, he, the way I, one of the things I saw from him that I really liked early on was when players on the opposing team were starting to mix it up with like Victor Arvidsson or a younger player. Hartnell was right there in the middle to like be like, no, you're not going to bully my bo- my boys around. You're just not going to do it. And you know he hasn't he's he's gotten his seven goals. He's only got a few assists, but he's been willing to really mix it up a little bit this year. And I think that's been a really great player for the team to have uh, on those second and third lines as we've progressed this season. Just that veteran presence and that willingness to be tougher at times. That's yeah. That's a that's a good choice. I actually totally spaced on Hartnell because uh, like you mentioned, he's, he has been a Predator before, but of course this is his first year back in quite a while. Um, I, I'll i probably never forget the breakaway goal he had against Arizona a couple weeks ago and I just remember thinking, oh, this is already the weirdest game I've, I will see this year if Scott Hartnell is scoring the breakaway goal. Um, <laughs> and then uh, George, who's your quote-unquote Calder first year with the Preds pick? Alexi Emlin. 
Huh. No, I'm joking. It's Kyle <laughs> Turris. Yeah. Okay, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I w- I'd love to hear your explanation of that. Yeah. Um, it's a little funny that, Kyle we, that we had to shape the rules to kind of incorporate actual players, because I don't think there's any rookie on this team, is there? No, I don't yeah. believe so. I think Fiala is the closest thing they have, and he's not a rookie, so. Yeah, I was going to say. So, it's funny that we had to shape the rules, or reshape the rules, rather, and we still only have, like, three or four players that you can actually play. Right, yeah. Yeah, um, not a huge sample size there, I guess. Um, uh, otherwise, Brock Besser, fight me. Uh, right. Yeah, <laughs> for, Brock Besser for Colin. Yeah, for Colin that, I, I think you're probably right there. He, yeah. That guy, speaking of, I think he, what did he take home? $550,000 from this past weekend? Yeah, in I think that's, I think contract that's bonuses and Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, good for Besser, and, and I agree. I think perhaps league-wide, I think maybe he'll he'll be the winner of this Calder Trophy uh, coming into the year. Uh, the next one perhaps is a little... Uh, there are at least more options to pick from is the Rocket Richard. So I would go with... Uh, I think Phil Forsberg, I realize he's missed about a month now, uh, over a month actually, due to that injury. But I think uh, once he'll... Of course, we're, we're on February Eve, or almost on February no. Eve, so... Uh, <laughs> normally he's all of his point production comes from one month uh, this year it's been a little more spaced out but maybe he'll still turn it up uh, next month we'll see so I would still give it to uh, to Philip Forsberg Corey are you, you you got another choice there you know I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go off the board again I just I can't help myself here but I'm gonna go Craig Smith okay. I, I, I think when you get Fiala back on that second line with Terrace and Smith, it's going to open things up for that line a little bit more than what we've seen. So once Forsberg gets back, and and, and depending on what happens with all the lines, but I think putting Fiala back on that second line is going to be really handy for him, and we're going to see Craig Smith kind of uh, step up the second half of the season and be a little bit more proficient in the scoring department. And George, your, your pick for the Richard. Uh, pick from Richard would be Kevin Fiala, uh, 15 goals in 45 games, and he's only getting better. He was notoriously snake bitten to start the season, um, but his play is just incredible. And I think in my in my very um, non expert opinion, he's he is the play driver. Uh, he is the straw that stirs the drink, so to speak. And we've seen it depending on no matter what line he's on. Uh, whether it's with Turris, even whether it's with Johansson, or whether it's with Yarnkrook and Benino, wherever he's at, points usually follow. And I don't, yeah, I don't know where they'll put him to, fair. you know, now that once Forsberg's back. But I think that wherever he's at is going to score the most goals. I sort of hope that they just go back to their normal. I, I'm, you might just, y'all might disagree with this, but I think first line Jofa, second line Smurf. I think that's just, I think it was working before the injuries kind of took over. And uh, yeah, yeah, but then that, then that third, then that third line was starting to show a little bit more too. After you know when they put Fiala back there with them, and yeah. so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm worried about that third and fourth line and how their production. But I digress. We move on. <laughs> yeah, um, the Norris Trophy, and I think uh, this this is probably a top three pick in my opinion for league wide. I'd go PK Subban for the Norris. Um, I don't know exactly why he's not getting a whole lot of recognition for this on a national stage. I think in terms of the opposition he's playing each night, he, I mean, Subban is the shutdown defenseman. He is getting matched against the McDavid's, the Crosby's, uh, the Bessers, so what have you. And, and I think uh, on top of that, he's producing <laughs> the, the team's highest point. Uh, he has the team high, team's highest points at the moment with 37. 
I just think that uh, there's no way the league cannot be considering Subban, and yet it seems like uh, perhaps they aren't. But is he even the best defenseman on the team, Corey, or do you uh, do you have another choice here? I'll keep it simple. Yes. Subban for you as well. Yeah, and, uh, I mean it's just it's just a clear it's a clear choice at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah, I you know arguments for me, uh, perhaps arguments from George. I had a feeling that everyone else was going to pick Matthias or take uh, pick PK Subban, so I went with Matthias Ekholm just because. Yeah. To be different, a little contrarian, and uh, is on pace for his highest point totals ever. He's playing very well. He played with Roman Yossi, now he's playing. He played with PK Subban, now he's playing with like Matt Irwin, so he's quite versatile, and he's also playing uh, a lot of PK minutes as well as a lot of uh, power play minutes, so. He's just kind of playing everywhere throughout the lineup. Um, this year is really weird for uh, uh, for for trophies, especially for the Norris, because in my mind, it's going to be given to uh, to John Klingberg over in Dallas. But yeah, like a lot of people were talking like, "Oh, he's not that good defensively," and I'm kind of like, "When has that ever stopped?" Like, us talking <laughs> right? About- it's it's highest point total from a defenseman period. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I get like. I like Eric Carlson a lot. I think that he's gotten much better defensively in the last two years. But he, you know, he's never been bad. But I never thought he was the, I never thought he was the best defenseman or the best complete defenseman. And then Drew Doughty got it. You know, when he was dude, dude Doughty. Uh, right. Yeah. And I didn't think he was the best then. So I clearly just have no clear, you know, foresight into who is the best. It'll probably be Doughty again though, just because of how good the the Kings have been if they make the playoffs. Uh, yeah. But you know. I'm holding out, holding out hope for my boy, Mark Edward Vlasic. So right, yeah, I'm back to your roots. He's the one shark um, I'll stand for. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Selkie Trophy. So the uh, the best defensive offenseman. I'm sorry. Uh, do you, do you which, mean the Patrice Bergeron Trophy? Yes, I do mean the pre. Yeah. <laughs> for those those of us who aren't Bruins fans, yes, I do mean the Patrice Bergeron. Um, and I, I mentioned my pick, I think, to George earlier, so I'm going to change it just to put you on your toes. And I'm going to give it to my uh, secret favorite national predator, Austin Watson, who just grinds it out night after night. Penalty kill, blocking shots, whatever you ask of Austin Watson defensively, he gets it done. I'm going to have to go with him for, for my Patrice Bergeron trophy. Let's catch it Corey? up. Um, I'm going to go Kyle Yarncroke because I, you know, I simply think if I'm looking, if I looked at the stats correctly, when he's on the ice, the Predators have outscored their opponents by 15 goals or 15. Yeah, and so if you're thinking offense, if you're thinking a defensive offenseman, then you're going to look for someone who's who is not only scoring on their end but keeping the teams. The teams not allowing the opponent to score while they're on the ice as well. And I think that would be a great time to bring up Kelly Yarncroke. Yes, and I will admit that Yarncroke I think was my first choice, but uh, in, for the sake of diversifying and also uh, representing one of my favorite players, I, I went with for Watson and George, my uh, one of our fellow Yarncroke defenders. <laughs> Your thoughts on the Selkie Trophy this year? Um, first off, uh, it's going to be Yarncroke because wingers don't win Selkies. It's just the law of the land. If, if yeah, that's fair. If there was any justice, Marion Hosa would have gotten a few. But I digress. Um, uh, I actually put up Philip Forsberg because as good as he's been offensively, he's just actually incredibly good at not letting uh, defenders in his own end or yeah, defenders in his own end rather uh, get shots or passes off. 
Um, he's one of the better wingers in transition, and I talk a lot about how good he is at driving possession, and it goes both ways. He is one of the better two-way wingers in the sport, and he has the second uh, the second best five-on-five goal different goal differential, uh, right behind Kalyan Kroken. I just, I mean, he's kind of grown. His his path in hockey has not been as one has not been uh, lin- as linear as one would prefer, but especially in this year, he's gotten so much better on his own end, and I think that he probably deserves to be recognized for it. And who's your? Do you have a prediction for the the actual trophy being given out? Oh, yeah, Patrice Bergeron. I mean, oh, there you come, go. come on, <laughs> as is tradition. Have you have you seen his goal differential? No, <laughs> I, I think he's been on the ice for like four goals for the entire season. Oh man! Oh, he's incredible. He's he's the best. I'm so glad that we figured out advanced stats so we can fully appreciate Patrice Bergeron. <laughs> I just the worst thing about Patrice Bergeron to me is he was in I think a Geico commercial in in which he takes a face off against himself. Yeah, but. Then the thing that bothers me is that the Patrice Bergeron that wins the faceoff then goes and scores on his own net. So I realize that that's convoluted because they're both Patrice Bergeron, but I feel like they should still obey. Like you can't just take a faceoff and then turn around and go score on yourself and and celebrate. I guess you could. Is Patrice um, Bergeron a good enough shutdown center that he could shut down himself? I think that's the point. <laughs> it seems that he can't because he just turns around and scores on himself. So. Um, hmm. Anyway, uh, the uh, Art Ross, so the, the points leader at the end of the season, and I am going to go with uh, perhaps an underdog at this point right now. Uh, I'm going to go with 28-point Ryan Johansson. I think that uh, that that line that he is on will start stepping it up, and he will be very much a part of all of that. Uh, so I think he will come back. He's currently in, in, uh, nine points behind P.K. Suvan, but what the heck, I'm going to say he closes the gap and gets this in, at the end of the day. Corey, uh, feel free to disagree with me, and I imagine you probably will. <laughs> actually, I was going to go Ryan Johansson as well. No, no, you weren't. Yes, actually, I was, <laughs> because I, I'm just waiting for Forsberg to get back and Johansson to, to gobble up yeah. a whole bunch of second assists. You know, I just I just want to see that happen. Um, but instead of saying Johansson, because you already did, um, you know what, let's go Arvidsson. Um, score a little bit more. He's always around the net. He's always he, He's always doing something. So I, I, you know, he's got 15 goals and 15 assists right now. I, I can see him gathering up several more assists the second half of the season and and uh, winning the points right, uh, winning the points race for the Predators this year. All right. Uh, yeah, you're right about Arvidsson always being around the dangerous areas. So if the uh, pucks start falling right, I think that that he's probably got a pretty good shot. Uh, and George, I imagine you. I heard you. Uh, I believe laughed at my choice of Ryan Johansson. So. Uh, why don't you explain your laughter? The only reason I laughed was because I thought for sure you'd have him as your heart pick. But No, believe it or not. Yeah. Believe it or not, I don't. I'm not surprised. I think I know who it might be. But, yeah, uh, uh, I had Philip Forsberg. Um, the lack of five-on-five five scoring is a little disturbing to me, but just from where he is right now in 34 points in 37 games, it's kind of hard to argue that he'll probably be the leading point scorer. And, quite frankly, I think he deserves it. We'll see how his um, how his zone usage goes uh, over the next month that he comes back, just because of how the Jofa line without him has gotten less and less shelter, and have started against better opposition. So I'm a little curious to see if they try to they try to shelter him again to pick up scoring. But you know, we'll see. And how about league wide? 
Uh, Nikita Kucherov going away. 61 points yeah, in 48 yeah. games? I mean, come on. <laughs> Good grief. Yeah, come on. He's just the best. He is. Um, all right, for the Hart Trophy, and this is, the I guess, the team MVP, I'm going to try something that will definitely in, uh, be cringe-inducing, so just bear with oh, me. No. I think we're going to do first name, last name, and all three of us are going to say it at the same time. <laughs> So I can shame you for if you're wrong. So oh, you're in, you're you're be prepared to be shamed because I know I'm not going to pick the same guys you all are. Jeez, mm. <laughs> this is going to go well. <laughs> for the sake of of following through, on three, your your team MVP first name last name one two three. Wow. Matthew Sarkozy. <laughs> <laughs> I heard in the cloud, and I think it was George. <laughs> I'll was. ask you to take take my experience my experiment seriously, please. I'm sorry, it's, I can't help it. He's not even on the team anymore. Yeah, exactly. I'm just so happy. <laughs> that, this is his biggest contribution to the team was going somewhere oh, come else. On. Come no, on, this is the hill I die on. <laughs> he went to the big city, please. Yeah. I was happy about that. The big Nothing city in the sky. Sorry, Corey. Who did you even say? I, I, I was trying to say UC Soros, but you know. Oh, okay, so oh, yeah, because I, like I would I would say Pekka, but I would think that the goaltending tandem, kind of uh, more broadly, is is my MVP. Well, if the if the goaltending tandem can't win a Con Smythe in Pittsburgh, then a goaltending tandem can't win Hart. It's not a true tandem. It's you know you know what I mean. Don't don't Do I... don't be pedantic with me. Don't don't um, say it like that. So, Corey, I'm just going to ignore George. Corey, why do you pick uh, Saro specifically over Rene? Well, Rene, because of Saros, Rene has more time off to rest in between games. He, we're not wearing him out. I was worried at the beginning of the season that it was going to have to be Rene for like 65, 70 games um, and just get worn down by the time we get to playoffs. But now Saros has stepped up. He's got, he's got three shutouts in 12 games. Okay. Now, granted, well, some of the, most of those games came at the beginning of the season when he was faltering, but his goals against now is down to 2.35. His save percentage is up to 90, uh, 92.6%. I mean, he's because of his performance, the team is not having to rely on Pecorine, which means they're going to have more Pecorine in the playoffs. So it's simply because he has turned his season around, the Predators are where they are right now. All right. Yeah, I like that logic, kind of the, the value of Saros being revealed through Pecorino. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't ask anything more from your backup goaltender, in my opinion. He's He gives the he gives Nashville, I would argue, even more than just a chance to win every night, which is truly all you need uh, from your goaltender. So, uh, nice pick. And then, uh, George, please, God, tell me your pick is not actually Cody McLeod and give me something I can actually discuss with you. Yeah. It's got to be Pecorine, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I mean, I, I see the argument for Saros, and I like him. And I definitely think that there could be a better argument for him as the season goes on if he plays more games. But just with the sheer volume, it, it, you right. kind of have to give it to Rene. And, yeah. Right. And, of course, yeah, I knew you guys were going to pick Rene, so I had to go yeah. somewhere else just uh, to have the well, same argument. Well, you both, you both decided to be very difficult at the same time, so I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Normally, at least one of you is yeah well yeah you i can ex- usually expect nothing from Corey's usually a little nicer um, <laughs> i didn't pull out cody mcleod come on no that that's just get out of here with that get out of here. we hadn't mentioned Miss me with that yeah, we, wow you're so hip 
We totally missed out that he that uh, he was waived. Like we we didn't, we didn't talk yeah. about it at all this yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, that needs to come up. Well, it kind of happened. In, didn't it happen between episodes, and then he was gone before we even did the next one. So to be, to be fair, everything in life happens between episodes. Like that's, that's uh, true. That's that's the, the really. curse of the podcaster is things things either happen right after you finish or just when it is not at all convenient to talk about them. Or in the case of the, <laughs> the uh, yeah, Terra straight up, and we had to try to carry on our normal uh, itinerary, ignoring that. Yeah. Um, George, who's your pick for Hart uh, for the NHL? Oh, Nathan McKinnon. If the Colorado gets to the playoffs, it's solely off the back of Nathan McKinnon and like maybe Miko Rantanen. There, he's just so yeah. good. Yeah. Oh my god, I love him. I love Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to see McKinnon getting a a really solid year. I, he was one of the very few players from that Colorado team I, I genuinely felt bad for last year. And as, um, as a Predators fan, you can root for him because you know that they're not going to make... They're, if they do make the playoffs, they're not deep enough to go past the first round. Like, right, yeah. It, they'll be kind of a Cinderella story, but it will end, in my opinion, quite quickly. Yeah. Um, all right, I guess uh, in, the, in the interest of time, we should probably pivot and look at <clears throat> the, the more immediate future, so the week ahead. Uh, Tuesday night... The, the big the big rival, the Chicago Blackhawks, coming into town. Uh, then Thursday night, it's Los Angeles. And on Saturday, a rematch against the New York Rangers. So a very uh, week of, uh, I think, still solid, although somewhat faltering opponents. Um, the Blackhawks especially, I think, the bottom feeders of the Central Division this year, although the Central is sort of a peg higher than the other divisions. So being worse than the Central is not necessarily such a bad thing. Uh, Corey, what do you think? The the Blackhawks certainly always make it interesting. Do you think uh, Nashville gets it done on Tuesday night on, I believe, live, uh, national television? Or or will Chicago continue to be a thorn in their side? Uh, this is this has a game where the Predators dominate written all over it to me. Um, you know, Forsberg could be back. Corey Crawford is out. Uh, even if, even if uh, uh, Forsberg is not back, this is a game that the Predators should win and went easily. Yeah. Um, I think uh, this season, perhaps for the first time, I think Nashville has got to be the favorite in this matchup each time. And as you mentioned, Crawford being out, I think there was some talk of perhaps Crawford going on this trip with the team. So I guess it's possible that we would see him on Tuesday night. But uh, I think more realistically, we're looking at Jeff Glass, who is uh, kind of a nice story uh, in, from a team that I don't really have a whole lot of nice stories about. Got to appreciate the contributions of of thirty two year old Jeff Glass. Uh, George, you think uh, your your typical pessimism leak into this game, or you think Nashville gets it done? Uh, I don't know anymore. Uh, no, uh, I think uh, I probably think it's a good game. Um, the Predators will make Jeff Glass look like an all star, and it'll pro- they'll probably yep. win like one nothing or two to one. <laughs> Like I, See, yeah, my prediction is three-two with no goals scored in the third period, and I'm I'm quite specific about that. But I feel like that's how it usually goes down against Chicago. Oh yeah, that's not a bad one actually. I like that. That's good. Yeah. So three-two with all the goals being scored in the first forty minutes. Um, Los Angeles started off the season as as one of the hotter teams in the West. Currently, they're they're slipping. Um, they did give Nashville a pretty hard time. I think it, it took a an Arvid, Victor Arvidsson breakaway goal in overtime to uh, take the Kings down. Corey, you think that uh, Nashville keeps it rolling, keep, gets it done against Los Angeles, or or uh, do you think the the Kings still have something left in the tank? 
you know, I know Jonathan Quick is uh, suspended for a game for not going to the All-Star festivities. So uh, there's a, he's got an injury, apparently, so he may or may not be back in. I think that has a lot to do with this one. Uh, if Quick is in that, then it's going to be a better game. But I still see this as a, as a chance for Predators at home, building up some energy. Uh, I, I think this would be a, maybe a close game, but I think it's a Predators win. Yeah, I think... Uh... Of course, of as I'm doing this on air, embarrassingly, I'm forgetting the name of their backup goaltender. George, do you happen uh, to know it? Darcy Kemper or Cooper. Thank you, Darcy Kemper. Uh, and I believe that he was in net uh, when they last <laughs> they last played as as the backup goaltender trend continues. Another backup um, goaltender? Surprising. Yeah, right. I know that never happens. Yeah. Uh, George, speaking of, you think uh, your your deeply hated Los Angeles Kings? Do you think uh, Nashville takes him down or or what? Uh, I actually do think Nashville takes them down. Uh, the Kings have been trending downwards for quite a bit. Uh, three and seven in their last ten. Although they are, they did win. They'll have a very tough challenge up against the Dallas Stars, and um, I'm I'm a little curious to see how they do and how they kind of start off the second stretch. But you can never underestimate Andre Kopitar or Drew Doughty, especially when Doughty seemingly plays like 50 minutes a night. So if you go to the game, just watch. Just watch Dowdy the entire night because it he goes off and ten sec ten seconds later he comes right yeah. back on. It's it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. Um, so yeah, I I do think that the Predators win this one, and I think that uh, especially if Quick doesn't play, I think they win quite handedly. But if they do, but if Quick does, I still think that they pull it off. Yeah, I I would I tend to agree with that. I I don't think LA is nearly the the competition that they were earlier in the season and. I think if Nashville can kind of keep their heads down and get the job done, I, I think uh, this should be a pretty simple two points for them. Uh, and then on Saturday night against the New York Rangers, who, it's to my memory, the Nashville has lost the past three at least meetings with the New York Rangers. For whatever reason, that's just the team they can't seem to shake uh, with Jimmy VC and company. Corey, what are your thoughts on this one? Is this uh, Does Nashville finally kind of uh, buck the trend, or, or does New York continue to take uh take this one the only thing that really bothers me about new york is their top 10 scores are all offensive uh all all forwards and all of i mean all but one of them is a center so i mean can the defense keep them away from the danger zone enough to uh keep the score close i think they can i think predators will score enough as well i'm actually seeing this being a six point week for the team wow yeah, I could see that too. Um, I think it's going to be. I, th- I can just predict that at least one and perhaps two of these matchups is really going to give them a hard time. I can't tell you exactly which ones that would be. Um, George, you think the Rangers are still a, a big threat, or do you think uh, this is a game Nashville should grab too? I mean, the Rangers still have the King, right? So anything could happen. Yeah, I'm just having a. As you mentioned, I think the only one of the t- two teams higher than Nashville in high danger save percentage is, is the New York Rangers with Lundqvist. Yeah. Um, that, this, I like them. I think that uh, it's going to be a Nashville, so I'd probably give the edge to the Predators. But I mean, Mika's and Benajad's having a really good season. Uh, Rick Nash is kind of getting hot, and that's going to be really big for his trade value. So we'll see how that goes. But I kind of see the season as our, as the the last season where the, the Rangers had before they kind of get into their rebuild. Um, a lot of guys didn't pan out the way they thought they would, and uh, while this team has some decent prospects, Elias Anderson being one of them, I think that they're going to start to lose more games than they win, and I think this was probably going to be a game that the Rangers lose. 
And another thing with this game, though, is is it's New York's second game after the All Star break. They play Toronto uh, at home on the first, and they come to Nashville right after that. So I, I don't know if we're going to see Lundqvist the 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 game here in Nashville. I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't a net that day. Another backup goaltender. <laughs> just just it's state the theme. Pavlik. Oh jeez. All right, well, well, well spotted, Corey, because uh, it, it's always interesting to me when teams play back to backs with the second one being against Nashville. It's always interesting to see who who chooses to sit the sit the starter for the Nashville game. And I was, for example, particularly surprised that we saw uh, Louis Domingue in that um, and Vasilevsky in Chicago the night before, but it worked out for Tampa, so I cannot <clears throat> fault them for that. Uh, anyhow, I guess we're about out of time, so. Corey, why don't you let us know where we can read and, and hear more of your work? Of course, you've got me on Predlines. I try to post it rather regularly when I can. Uh, then I have my own website at J, uh, excuse me, jcoreyfrancis.com, which is geared towards uh, music and music education. And then also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram at jcoreyfrancis. Post on those things quite often. All right, and George? Yeah, find me on uh, Predlines. I write quite often, and then find me on Twitter at GeorgeM1019. The G and the M are the G and the M are capitalized as always, and I'm a lot of fun just for the retweets. So uh, oh, yeah, wow, self self promotion there. Yeah. I'm a lot of fun. Yeah, um, shameless <clears throat> for me. You can obviously find me on Predlines.com. I don't post quite as often as uh, I'm not required to, which is nice. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at WadeM1994. WadeM. There it is. Finally got the timing down. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, you'll be in a very exclusive group of individuals. I <laughs> can't promise you'll enjoy it, but there you go. Uh, aside from that, we will hopefully have you listeners back next week for another episode.